This is Mission.org. Welcome to Marketing Trends. I'm your host, Jeremy Bergeron, the Vice President of Media Strategy at Mission.org. And this is the show where twice a week, you'll get VIP access into the hearts and minds of some of the most influential marketers in the world. On Marketing Trends, we'll do two things. We'll go deep on a human level, and we'll go even deeper on the nitty gritty of what makes for the most successful marketers and strategies today. I'm glad you're here. Now let's get into it. Methodical hustle. Every so often, I come across an origin story that just blows me away. And today's guests have that story. In just six short years, Garrett Merigruth went from selling social media calendars on Fiverr to being the co-founder and CEO of Directive Consulting, a literal top-rated and award-winning customer generation expert agency. Garrett joins us along with Directive's Senior Director of Growth, Drew Choco, to talk about their journey. So I'm not really hustling in the sense of like how most people hustle so much as I'm driving towards a vision and okay with being bad at stuff. So I'm constantly trying to take on new initiatives that if you were just to sit down, put it on paper and say, hey, what's your greatest opportunity for the business? If you could do anything, what would you do? And I kind of just live in that world. Garrett and Drew discussed their journey over the past six years and share their experience with explosive growth. They talk about the importance of the intentional capital allocation needed, R&D, and placing value on people and culture. Brightspot Content Management System enables marketers to launch in just 100 days. It efficiently manages marketing campaigns on mobile apps or updates investors on your corporate site, handling it all seamlessly. With over 100 plus different content types and templates, marketers can deliver a customized, relevant experience to your audience. Additionally, integrate your current marketing automations platform and SEO recommendations directly from your Brightspot content management system, simplifying tool management. Discover more at brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends. I want to hear a little bit of the bootstrap story, Garrett. I want to hear like the genesis of directive and kind of like the, you know, the elevator version of the genesis of directive. Yeah. Um, So directive was a lot of kind of, I guess, a little insight into the way my brain works and kind of way it started was I always just ask myself, what do I enjoy? What am I good at? And then what will someone pay me for? Right. And so when you're 21 years old, I like solving problems. I'm good at solving problems. People think I know the internet because I'm younger than them and they'll pay me to help them with digital. I should go learn the internet. And so we, I kind of just like read as much as I could on digital marketing. And I'm a pretty avid reader. I really enjoy learning. And so I kind of just came up with a little mantra called learn, engage, create. And the idea was if I could learn something new every day, 
engage with it by practicing it, integrating it, executing it, that I could create more value for myself, my company, and my customers. And that was kind of it. So we started, you know, like for me, I was on Fiverr selling social media calendars for five bucks when we started the company. And that was kind of the start. Wow. So <laughs> I love it, man. And I, I think you, you basically, you took, you know, you had this opportunity to, you said, look, you learn as much as you can about a space that maybe you didn't know a ton about. And you're like, I'm going to go learn as much as I can, simply go implement it at whatever level I can. Started at Fiverr for you, which is just incredible to see where you're at now as an organization. What are some kind of early lessons or current kind of early, not lessons, but maybe favorite failures that led you to to directive? We don't really fail a lot in all transparency here. Uh, we're pretty good at avoiding most of the failures. Most of our failures are due to inexperience, but they weren't fatal. Mm -hmm. What I mean by failures is like, I was in an Uber. I don't think Drew was with us yet, but I was in an Uber and uh, I was talking to this guy. And he's like, oh, what do you do? You know, because nobody ever drives Uber full time, right? Like everybody, you can end up talking about whatever, like, you, you know, the, the thing is, right? And so, he, you know, I was like, oh, yeah. And then he was talking about how he does SEO. Now, my kind of technical skill when we started Directive was SEO. We started as an SEO shop. And so I kind of had taught myself SEO. And I thought I was pretty good at it. You know, I was writing for all the blogs back in the day. I was, you know, practicing a lot of stuff. I was very much like individual contributor tactician, like still trying to learn my skill, you know? And I asked him how much he charged. He said $2,000 a month. I was charging $400 a month. And this guy knew nothing. Like he didn't know what the hell he was talking about. He wasn't that good at SEO and he's charging way more. So I just called my buddy up, Tanner, and I was like, yo, dude, we're raising rates. <laughs> and so like, that's not really a failure, but it's more like the story of directive is more like that, like learning new information, acting upon it, and then executing really, really well on a consistent basis over an extended period of time. Mm, I love that. Okay, so Drew, what, what, what's, at what stage kind of were, were you at in your kind of life career when you kind of outside looking in, saw Directive, got connected to Directus? What's the beginning of that look like? Yeah, definitely. So I knew Garrett from, from college. We went to school together. And uh, the first, uh, to, to his point, he, he started uh, in SEO. And the first paid media hire they ever made was my old college roommate. His name's Brady, um, now leads up our, our strategy department here. He's our, the head of strategy. Okay. So, so hold on one second. So is that, is that like a secret, like a secret uh, strategy of hiring high performing people, Garrett, hire the college <laughs> homies, step one. I mean, I wouldn't say based off of what our daily activities looked like that I was identifying high performers at that time. I know. I think these are the only guys I knew that would take a job that paid as little as money as we had that I actually like to hang out with and we could like play ping pong and just be idiots together. Oh, I love that. So uh, I would say it's more it's more like, hey, who do you enjoy that's willing to like hustle with you and believe in something? Yeah. Oh, and they're smart. It was not like, hey, you know what? You know who's the smartest person I know? Drew and Brady. <laughs> I think it was more like, you know who I really think it has great character? You know whose values I think align with mine? You know who I think I would want to do something with over an extended period of time? Drew and Brady. Oh, and they're smart. Yeah. I think it was more like that mentality, frankly, and kind of why I wanted those guys to kind of join us. I love that. And I mean, look, so the beginning of that is, is awesome. It's like, hey, look, let's come, let's do this thing. And that doesn't mean that when Drew, you know, and Brady, is it Brady? Yeah. Brady, it doesn't mean that when Drew and Brady say yes, that as this thing moves and scales and grows into what it is now, they'll still be here. You guys will still be friends. Like, you know, this is an idea that 
started off as like, hey, I think we can do this to now Drew's developing and growing as a, as a person. Garrett's certainly becoming that CEO that can run eight figures plus, you know, Brady the same. So there's a lot of stuff that happens when you guys said yes. So Drew, kind of back to you. Um, how was that experience? Like saying yes to this thing that now you probably reflect on like, holy shit, I just said yes to a rocket ship. Yeah, 100%. And, and it's funny you mentioned that because that really was my mantra when I when I started at Directive. It was, you know, previously before I was at Directive, I was working at a, a retirement plan consulting firm. Sexy. I was a marketing Sexy. manager, which when you're at a company like that, you're like, I'm like deleting HubSpot contacts so we stay below our limit, right? Okay, like okay. that was kind of what I was doing. I, I was up in Portland. It was raining all the time. I was like, I got to get down to the California sunshine. Uh, it ended up working out. And my mantra was like, okay, I'm just going to say yes to everything, right? Like I've been pretty stagnant for the past year working at this company. I'm just going to say yes to everything. And I started as uh, the social media manager for all of our clients. And I think in five months, I was the sales rep, like, and sales was never something I even thought about. Right. Wow. And so it was just like, you know, every time Garrett or, or Tanner, the, the other co-founder would come to me with something, I would just be like, yeah, let's, let's dive in let's try and do it. Let's try and learn it. And I've tried to keep that mentality for the past six years, which I think has been, you know, it's been massive. It's just a, a good approach to have. Yeah. I love that. It's such a good approach. Yeah. I mean, so Drew, what was the first, like, as you kind of reflect on the past, you know, you said six years now, almost six years, what was kind of the first big swing where you're like, we have something here? Like maybe it was an opportunity or maybe it was just a, a learning curve for you, but was there something, maybe a story around an experience that happened that where this thing becomes really real for you? Yeah. I mean, I think the the first time, right, when I first started, I got a, there's a, a monitor that the first person got. So it was kind of a cracked uh, square mod. It wasn't even full screen. It was cracked and square. <laughs> I love it. I love it. We used to have so much fun, Jeremy. We would give yeah. guys like a MacBook from like the 18th century <laughs> that only had dial up. Oh my gosh. And we would tell them it's their new computer. Oh my gosh. Just to see how humble they were. Wow. And then they would just be there in this like, we were in a co working space that makes WeWork look like the Taj Mahal. Like we had, yeah. you know, like buckets where they would collect the rain. Like, so we had the Home Depot orange oh buckets all over. And there was like a judo gym where guys were getting slammed on the floor. Like it was a class wow. Z building. And like, that's, yeah, that's kind of how we start with the, yeah. Oh, that's great. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So I, I think like that moment, right. Is when, you know, I remember Garrett took us at this point, we were probably 15, 20 people. I think when I started, we were maybe eight, eight or nine. Um, and he took us to, you know, a, a quote unquote high rise uh, office. I think we were three stories up, right. Right by South coast Plaza. And we were like, okay, this is like, this is an office building, mm. right? And I think that was when, you know, when, when we outgrew our original space, we had to take the ping pong table down, right? We got the new space and we're like, okay, this is like, wow, this is something that really seems, you know, tangible now. Like this seems like we're, we're going to achieve something special. I love that. And Garrett, for you kind of as a CEO, I, I look, I mean, I know going through like when you're when you're scaling up like you and you hired I heard the interview with Nathan but you hired a ton of people recently it went from like 30 people to like 150 people and, and that's kind of, it's insane when you're scaling up that quickly there's so many lessons as, as for a CEO you know cuz you're as you know you know this you know better than any any entrepreneur 
it's like, it's a full contact sport. You know, the game that you're playing, you're talking about bringing more people in and at a high rate, you're building a team. And professional services too. It's a little, it's nasty, right? Because yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so in that, you know, kind of, again, that period, that time period where you're experiencing that explosive growth, how, how are you kind of supporting and supporting and cultivating an environment for the, for Drew and the folks that are there to get ready for this new influx of people? You have to do so many things operationally to get this thing moving at a, you know, cause eight people is so vastly different than 150. Yeah. So what are some of the things that happen in that process that really kind of help shape who directive is right now at 130 plus, you know, ballers? Ballers. I like that, Jeremy. Um, hell yeah, we're ballers. Oh no, let me, uh, <laughs> the, I think the, the big thing I've found is as leaders, we're really good at lying to ourselves, lying about what our companies are good at, lying about what we're good at, lying about like what we think we're spending on something. I found our companies, like you show me where a company spends its money and I'll show you what it's good at. And I think what directive learn and does well now is it has a very high level awareness of where we allocate our capital, why we're doing so, and then what we want to accomplish and how that fits our vision. And so most people, for example, underinvest in culture, myself included historically. We treat it as a, a non-revenue generating expense, even though as a professional services company, your people are your product, and thus your people's performance is the performance of your product. Yet we somehow say we want to have great product so we go all in on Notion and wikis and process, but we still underfund career development, recruiting, onboarding, learning and development. So the biggest thing Directive's done as scaling is I think we our second largest department now, I don't know the exact headcount, but our second largest department is actually people ops now. Wow. Wow. And it's bigger than our growth org, for example, which is like Directive's historical secret power is how good we are at our own new business and marketing. Mm -hmm. That's what makes, you know, that's always been our kind of backbone of our success. But now our real success comes from our people ops department, our operational team, our culture, our finance function, a lot of the other stuff that we were always good at, but we didn't maybe fully fund. Now that we're fully funding, it's really starting to show and we're able to keep that 10 to 13%, you know, month over month growth rate, even at this size. Yeah, that's incredible. So Drew, in your role now, because I know I saw in your background and you've done a lot of stuff there, like you've done, you've been individual contributor, leader, sales, kind of you've done sales a couple different ways. In your role now, are you, are you, are you kind of still closing deals? Are you more kind of overseeing marketing and the strategy for marketing at Directive? How would you kind of explain your role now as it's evolved? Yeah, definitely. It's it's a little bit of both, right? So I kind of oversee our director of sales and then director of marketing. Okay. But really at the end of the day, it's it is, you know, the growth. It's the how are we driving new revenue? How are we investing the the capital to drive that revenue? What's your favorite part about being a marketing leader? Yeah, I think for me, like what I always love is like getting to work and, and this is the favorite one of my favorite things about working at an agency is a lot of the team members on the growth team. Uh, you know, came from working on clients and were exceptionally good at that. And so it's it's one of those environments where I don't feel like I'm sitting on a chair and just like all these people below me, I, I don't really understand, mm. you know? It's like, I get to learn from these people as much as they get to learn from me. Um, and they're very good at these specific technical aspects, right? Mm. So I think to me, like in a high performing growth org, that has been just a huge blessing, 
right? It's it allows you to continuously grow and improve and then, you know, really lean on the team to be experts at what they do. Drew, how would you how would you describe, you know, Garrett now as a leader and CEO at the organization? How do you describe Garrett and the culture there? What kind of what kind of CEO is Garrett? Yeah. Let's pretend he's not let's pretend he's not here listening, eating a sour candy. Yeah, no, 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 for sure. I mean, I think one of the greatest things is like you you actually get to see the output. Um, I, I think I'm in a, a, a pretty good spot, right? Because I get to work with Garrett on a regular basis. I mean, I talk to Garrett every single day, right? And I think that that's one of the big th- things is you sometimes you hear a lot of people say things and then the action is like, well, they said it, but I think they're doing it. Um, you know, Garrett hustles harder than anyone I ever I've ever met. Uh, And I think that action alongside being able to actually say it. And to his point, the willingness to invest in areas where, you know, maybe we aren't the strongest is something that I've seen him, you know, as we've grown significantly, I think has been a huge benefit, particularly working with him. Yeah, that's amazing. No, no, that's awesome. And another thing is there, there, you know, I pick, I picked this up, Drew, as well, when you said hustle, like, but Garrett, it, it seems for me like it's a methodical hustle with you, Garrett. I know that you're you're also a father. Is you have three now, or is it still two and a half? Is it three? I got three under three. Yeah. Okay, three under three. Yeah. We have we have four under four in our house. So I I, I feel you. <laughs> so so automatically though, but I know. I mean, look, if you're a dad, an entrepreneur, three under three at home, and I happen to know some of the inside stuff of your business, not a lot, but it's like we know where the business stands at some level. There's a lot of capacity you have, and you've got to really pick. You got to pick the pockets for you to to to, to hustle. You know, to work as hard as you're doing because you, if you're investing in one, you might be there might be a deficit in the other. Yeah. So how's how's balancing that that you know this methodical hustle? Does that resonate with you at all, or do you just feel like you're just Gary Vaynerchuk all day, balls to the wall? Like, oh, I'm not really like Gary V in that sense, but I kind of am, I guess, in other senses. I'm not as public. I'm a much more private individual, I'd say. Um, but I am a pretty high intensity uh, guy who's not really satisfied. Mm-hmm. So I think more like the drive is just. I don't really like know any, like it's how I'm hardwired that way. So I'm not really hustling in the sense of like how most people hustle. Got it. So much as I'm driving towards a vision and okay with being bad at stuff. So I'm constantly trying to take on new initiatives that if you were just to sit down, put it on paper and say, hey, what's your greatest opportunity for the business? And like, if you could do anything, what would you do? And I kind of just live in that world, right? My Wednesday, Thursday, Friday is pretty much wide open. I try to not be in any meetings I don't need to be in. I try to hire very strong executives and set up really good mechanisms for how we evaluate success and drive visibility. Mm -hmm. And then I just try to think and dream and never be satisfied. So I'm not hustling so much as I'm designing and dreaming and pushing and motivating and driving, and I'm willing to go into areas that I don't know yet. Like right now I'm trying to learn like global tax law because we're expanding internationally Mm -hmm. and I'm trying to make sure I do it the right way and why. And then how do you forecast regional growth? How do you build an org chart for a global company with regional leaders? How do you design compensation? Why? How do you organize and align cultures across borders? And then, you know, so I'll go buy as many books on it. I'll go try to call as many people I can. I just try to go learn it, ask questions. And I like being bad at stuff. And same thing with acquisitions, right? We're trying to acquire companies right now. We're talking to multiple organizations. We have the cash on hand. 
but how do we use a line of credit for an M&A line? Mm-hmm. What does that look like? Mm-hmm. Why? Right. So work with finance because I can model things. My background was econ. I'm okay. The A team is phenomenal. Like I got to learn from them. And so I just like to dream and think and push. And then guys like Drew are really, really, what's cool about Directive is they know how to then take that and then own it. And then I just get to kind of support them with my energy. Mm. Like, so I, you know, I worked very often, I'll go like six in the morning till my version of work, like last night was 11 p.m. But I'm not working, I'm just being myself. Right, right. Because right? I wanted to learn how SaaS angel investing works. So I was reading everything I could find for like three hours last night. Because mm. it's just like how I'm wired, if that makes sense. Yeah. And so I just enjoy, I try to just be me. And when I get to enjoy being me, it's fun. And I, I try to stay very high leverage, multiplicative type stuff. Mm, I love that. All right, fellas, we're going to take a quick, a quick little shout out to our sponsors at Salesforce. Salesforce, we appreciate you because without you, Salesforce, let's be honest, this show would not exist. So Lightning Round is brought to you by Salesforce. Salesforce brings marketing and engagement together. Learn more at salesforce.com forward slash marketing. We've got on the show today, Drew and Garrett from Directive. Drew, head of marketing, Garrett, CEO and co-founder. If you don't know about Directive, you should check these guys out and don't don't glaze your eyes when you hear the word agency. Just don't because you don't want to pass up what these guys are doing in their industry. And I think it's very applicable outside of just SaaS companies. I'll leave it at that. Okay, first question. First question to you, Garrett. Texting or talking? Talking. Drew, texting or talking? Texting. Cool. Second question. First, it's to you, Drew. Drew, what do you love and appreciate about yourself? Saying yes. Garrett, what do you love and appreciate about yourself? I really like that I enjoy to learn new things, being bad at stuff. Okay. Favorite day of the week? Sunday. I get to watch Red Zone, I guess. Drew? Thursday. Okay. Uh, Favorite city in the U.S. besides the one you live in? Seattle. Austin. Oh, nice. We're here in Austin, so shout out, Garrett. Um, Last film you saw in a theater, if you can remember. I think Knives Out for me. <laughs> it came out like three years ago, maybe. Okay. Garrett? I haven't. With three kids and COVID. I, I know, right? Right? Like movies, you know, you don't go by the movies yourself. So it's not, like, I, I don't think my wife and I have been in movies so long. We used to go all the time when we were dating. I don't know. Okay. I'm so bad at the past too, Jeremy. Like, I have such, like, okay. I don't know. Dude, you're in the now. I get it. I get it. All right, cool. Would you rather be able to speak every language in the world or be able to talk to animals? Oh, speak every language. I don't care about animals. Drew? Speak every language. Okay. Favorite holiday? Thanksgiving. Fourth of July. Okay. Favorite live concert? Stagecoach. Radiohead. Oh, both great. Fill in the blank, please. Garrett, go first. Something wise your elders taught you was? Only seriously date a woman if you plan on marrying her. Whoa, well said. Drew. Don't be afraid to be bad at things. Mm. Okay, that's just to you, Drew, and then you, Garrett. Invisibility or super strength? Uh, super strength. Super strength. Okay. This might be the most important question of the show, guys. Is it wrong for a vegetarian to eat animal crackers? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> okay, all right. Um, Drew, if you weren't in marketing, what would you be doing? Something in golf. Oh, cool. I love golf. Garrett, if you weren't being a CEO, leading an amazing team, changing the game, 
what would you be doing? Um, the, the, uh, I would uh, probably, uh, I'd probably coach. I'd like to probably be like a coach in the Premier League or something. Ooh, okay. Um, least favorite marketing buzzword? Uh, I'd say gr- growth hacking. Smart. Um, last uh, question on the lightning round. We'll go to you, Garrett, first. What would you go back and tell your younger self about being a CEO and co-founder? Well, it would have been a lot easier if I had the right prices. It's a lot harder than people realize to have bad pricing. Mm. Like when Drew joined, I think we had a lot of clients that still paid us $500 a month, right, Drew? I don't, I don't like we, Oh yeah. you don't get like, Directive is not as good as it can be at growing accounts because we always had the wrong accounts. Mm. And so now we're learning, like if I were like a CMO, let's say of a SaaS company for years and then decided I was going to build my own agency or I had... I had no prior experience. So I just started directives straight out of college, like while I was doing my master's program. And so you just don't know as much. So I like now that we know things, we grow so fast and we're so like, I feel like good as an executive mm-hmm. team, like the way we run the organization, we run it like tight, man. Like we run this thing like a fortune 500, like executive, like organization wise, the way we do planning, the way we do strategy, the way we do funding, the way we, do things is really, really tight. I didn't know any of that. And I had to kind of just learn it by reading books or hiring coaches or things like that. So I guess I would love to go back and have had experience. Like if I started another agency right now, it would grow even faster than directive because you don't have any of the baggage. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of baggage when you, when you are starting so small Mm -hmm. and then because you have all this legacy, whether it's legacy talent, whether it's legacy clients, whether it's legacy culture, whether it's legacy systems, mm-hmm. legacy processes, legacy beliefs, mm-hmm. you're pretty stupid when you're 22 starting a company. And, you know, when you look back, you're like, and I'm going to feel the same way, I'm sure, 10 years from now. But, you know, it's that's the part I'd change. It's just, I wish I knew a little more. Mm, I love that. Cool. Drew, same question. What would you go back and tell your younger self about being a marketing leader? I would say, well, I kind of did this, but learn sales too. Mm. That's a good one. I think I would agree there. Um, it's just you know, doubling down on that more more earlier. Well, yeah, marketing is not that important, Jeremy. Like that's the key. When you get actually really good at marketing, you realize you're not that good at marketing. Mm-hmm. Like I think that's the biggest thing I've learned is like, <laughs> how do you explain this? As an agency, if you're really honest with yourself, what you realize is the clients that are successful have very little to do with you. <laughs> they like you get a great client with a great culture a great product, a great marketplace. You really can't screw it up. And you look really smart because you help them with this thing that you're good at. You help them with that thing. And so I think the key, if you want to get better at marketing is to get better at business, to get better at product, to get better at sales, to get better at finance. Marketing should just be the application of other spheres of influences, information. And then all you do is connect those dots and articulate that story in a way that resonates with a very specific individual. Mm -hmm. But marketing isn't when you're younger, what you think it is. It's not getting better at Python. It's not learning SQL. It's not getting really good at the actual individual pieces of marketing so much as understanding the application of marketing to a business strategy. And once you start to learn that, and you have to have your skills to be able to do that, but once you get to that level that's when you can start charging 100K for a 30-day project, uh, half a million, a million, $2 million for an engagement because you understand how to truly drive value, not do marketing. Mm-hmm. And, and that's mm-hmm. the game-changing moment. I love that. I think that makes a lot of sense. How, how much are you now 
investing in innovation, kind of R&D, and like you're, you're getting results clearly, you have a framework and a process that works well, you're providing some services. How much time are you spending or folks on your team spending like thinking even further ahead and trying new things to bring that value in new ways? Do you do, you do a lot of that? Or you just say, hey, look, we've already experimented. We know what's working now. This will take us to 100 million. Let's keep going. Oh, no. Or are you kind of thinking about, you know? We're obsessive with R&D here. It's our like secret power. So like, love it. We spent how much money did we spend last year on paid media? Probably over a million dollars, Drew. Yeah, I think it was one point three. And we made probably fifteen million mm-hmm. off our own spend. Yeah. So everything. So I mean, we we try to like if we launch a service, we only launch it. Like I'm trying to improve a department in our organization because I believe in it, and so I'm gonna spend fifty thousand dollars a month on it for my own business to learn it and then build the right story, know exactly why it works, why it doesn't. And then I can charge way more to my customers and create true value. So we are all in on R&D. I mean, R&D is literally the essence of who we are as an organization. I love that. Is there is there anything about, because look, I mean, Garrett and Drew, you guys have obviously worked at other places. You've, you know, you've seen other things, you've maybe read books on culture and you've tried different things. Garrett, is there anything that you're doing and Drew supporting in terms of the culture that that's just different than any place you've ever worked before. Or someone kind of comes into the to directive, like there you guys are doing something different. You know, did, did you introduce anything like that along the way? I know you said you run like a Fortune 500, but are there kind of nuances to like you know what you do for for the folks that work there that may be different than other other organizations in terms of culture? I like to think so. I think uh, honoring others and like we're a very difficult company to work for. We have insanely high expectations of you. You do not come here because you want an easy job. There is no easy part of directive. We run in a very well-run manner, Mm -hmm. so everything makes sense. Mm -hmm. But you are expected to have an internal drive, a desire to be the best at your field. And if you don't have that, you don't do well here and you end up self-identifying that it's not a fit. So our culture is a true performance culture because at the end of the day, clients hire us to do things that they couldn't do on their own mm-hmm. or haven't ever done before. And that takes very special people to do. It is Being a strategist at Directive is genuinely maybe the hardest job in the world because you get hired where clients, like we're not cheap. So if they had a budget, we're more than what they used to pay. So they already, you have to be, they expect you to be great. Mm-hmm. Getting a job here, not easy, but we pay very, 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 very well. Mm. So what we try to do is balance that high performance culture with high performance, authentic, like with that same passion for performance, we try to create for the authenticity of who you are as a human. So for example, our culture isn't about the fluff. It's more about your humanity and like really trying to have an impact on your life. So like when people leave directive, They go work at Twilio, Zoom Info, Zoom. Like they go work for the smartest companies in the world. And then they're shocked with how many people they have around them for help. Yes. Like, you know, I just got to talk to one of our guys who left, got an amazing job. And he has, you know, 20 SDRs and they have the same quota as our three SDRs had. Wow. Wow. So like that, we don't realize when you work at Directive, how high our expectations are and how focused we are and how driven we are. Mm-hmm. But we also don't work weekends and we don't work nights, right? We have 100% healthcare. 
We've got world-class salary. We have a 70K minimum wage. It's amazing. For all roles. Um, And then we do things like a, a dreams program, right? Where we'll bring in a vendor who helps you understand what's your vocation in life? Like truly what makes Jeremy passionate? What makes Jeremy feel alive? What makes Jeremy feel fulfilled? And then how can we help Jeremy pursue that? Even if that means Jeremy leaves directive. So we're very much not about controlling people, but instead creating an environment where if you are a true high performer, this is where you like you are going to finally find your home. Mm-hmm. And then we're going to honor and love on you in every other aspect so that you can develop. That's amazing. Um, I want to take a little bit of time here. We've probably got about 10 minutes and I want to get into, you know, who you're serving, you know, just like the profile of the customers you're working with. Cause I know like when I, I think it's still, it's still SaaS companies. Is that really the, that's the, that's the focus. Yeah. we got like Allstate too. Like we're agency record for Allstate. So we got some like legacy stuff from when we did more local okay. and kind of B2B, but we're, we're like 99, 9% SaaS. Okay. Yeah. Cause like, I know as I listen to the stuff that you're sharing on you know, on your website and previous stuff that you guys are sharing, I'm like, it's relevant to industries outside of SaaS, you know, like as we're growing, I'm like the stuff that you're saying is like directly, I mean, we're a media company, you know? So is there obviously expansion into other areas where you're like, because because clearly what you guys do would help other industries, yeah, right? But but you're like, nope, SaaS companies is the profile. What are your thoughts on that? I just did like a post last night because I've been trying like my team's doing such a good job sharing their thoughts on social they're like inspiring me and I gotta like step my game up because I'm a pretty private guy so I I normally kind of just default to consuming content and then randomly creating but not like that consistency you need to have a following so I'm trying to be more consistent but one of the things I wrote last night was actually around this concept and this is where I actually see most companies go wrong um almost every company in the world wants to increase their share of wallet right? They have a hundred customers. They make X amount from those customers. From those same amount of customers, they'd like to make Y amount of money. Why is that? Well, it increases their gross margin when you increase your price. When you increase your gross margin, it creates net new cash that flows to your EBITDA. That's why companies want to do it. You have increasing marginal returns on growing your customers retainer or hourly or just revenue with you. Um, and you have a lower acquisition cost. It's a high return activity. Mm-hmm. Now, most people try to grow their share of wallet by targeting net new personas. And as a consultant, I get to see this a lot, whether I'm coaching founders, because I do a lot of coaching for founders and executives on, on after hours, or I'm working with our, our own internal team or with our customers. People will ask that question, like you just said, Jeremy, like, well, what's next for you guys? And they'll say, you know, there may be a sales company and they want to start serving marketers, or maybe they're a finance company and they want to start surfing accounting or whatever that is. And when we do that, we make big, big mistakes in our projections and forecasting and understanding how much budget it'll actually take. Because those, we think we know a lot more about this net new persona than we actually do. And even worse, that net new persona knows a hell of a lot less about us than we think. And so what happens is when companies try to grow through net new personas, right? Because at the end of the day, we don't serve industries, we serve humans. And we usually serve a specific human that works in a specific industry. Like Directive serves a director of demand gen with at least 25 million in funding or over 100 employees, okay? We know that human. Now, we think we know the creative director, but we don't. Just as much as our clients want to be a platform company and launch new verticals or products, they know exponentially less about those people. And even worse, those people know exponentially even less about them. 
And so it's not that you can't grow share of wallet by entering new verticals or no new industries and you can't expand, right? Like, cause you're servicing this one human at this company and now you want to serve these other humans because you already have this relationship with this company. It just doesn't work that well. What you're usually better off doing is understanding the jobs to be done of the human you service and expanding your services to serve the existing human's pain instead of net new humans. And so when I say, so a better way to take share of wallet, in my opinion, to answer kind of your question of what directive is doing is we're taking the director of demand gen, and then we're prioritizing the hardest problems they solve that are most valuable to them. And then we're launching those as service lines. That works very well. And we've been able to monetize every one of our service lines we've launched in a short amount of time because it's a cohesive story that makes logical sense to a marketplace. I love that. Can you just give an example of one of those one of those service lines that became or, or one of those problems that became a service line? Yeah, well, we started as SEO. And what we realized is, okay, even if we rank number one in organic, we're only taking 30% market share for a given query for our client. So there's still 70% market share. So we still have guest postings so we could write for other people's websites and maybe take additional marketplaces. We could get positioned on review sites and maybe show up again. But then there's this spot above all the organic, especially on mobile. And it shows up right there and you can do one-to-one ROI. What if we launched paid media and help people with Google ads? Well, we found our point of contact for SEO was the same point of contact for paid media. Okay, well, after you drive a lead for paid media, we found that most B2B marketers are pretty bad at life cycles. They don't, they don't really understand MQL to SQL, SQL to op, op to deal, and deal to revenue. Okay, what if we help them with that? Oh, well, when you run paid media, you got to send people to landing pages. Yeah, we're constantly waiting on their developers and their creative team never has time. The developers have to focus on product. What if we help them with that? Mm-hmm. And so that's how we do it. We just get to fall in love with helping the director of demand gen. And then once we truly understand that human, we can be a great partner to them. I love that. Drew, any comments on that? That's great. Yeah, I think it's very true. And I think the the cool part is that that shared um, persona is demand gen across the board. Now, that doesn't mean you you can't also build relationships with other people, right? Sure, sure. For example, a strategy deliverable, you might need to get the CRO to sign off mm-hmm. or the CMO mm-hmm. or the VP of marketing, right? But you can always go through that director of demand gen to get to those other pieces. And I mm-hmm. think that's a crucial part as well, right? As you have that shared persona, and it can help you expand, but not just saying, hey, we're now going from director of demand gen to HR, right? Because that's going to be a, mm. a different jump. Yeah, it's exactly. It's still within the marketing function and within the lead generation function of marketing. Yep. It's still within this like lane to a certain extent. And that's the trick. Sure. Oh, I love that. That's awesome. You know, the reason directive grew so fast was because of this methodology we created called customer generation. And this is what we named it. We want to create a category because our SaaS clients are creating category. We try to be like our our clients. It helps us uh, understand them. And so the big success we had was when people advertise right now on social, they use the platform's data source. And that's a big issue. And I'm kind of, I just made a video on this and I'm really passionate about it because marketing is actually super simple. We just make mistakes and don't realize it most of the time. So what I mean by that is when you run a campaign on LinkedIn, the cornerstone of your campaign on LinkedIn is the industry you're targeting. That's the cornerstone of it. So most people, and that's the starting point, it goes industry and then you go usually titles and there's not a ton else actually to targeting on social usually for B2B. Now the problem is, is the people you think are in that industry aren't in that industry. So for example, Betterment. 
Is Betterment a financial services company or computer software company? Well, if you go look on their LinkedIn, it actually says financial services. So if you were trying to get Betterment though, and you're us and you're a SaaS company, and I targeted financial services, I also get Northwestern Mutual, who's not a fit. So what we do at Directive and we do for our clients that's entirely different than anyone else I've heard in the marketplace is we build out your TAM entirely and we only use manually verified data to advertise. It's like ABM on steroids. So like for Directive, we mapped out, how many accounts, Drew, did we map out on our TAM again? 6,500 or so? Yeah, 65. And then in 365 days, we booked sales meetings with over 65% of them. How many? 65%. We took that much market share in 12 months. That's why we had to hire that many people. Out of 60, how many were were, were in TAM? 6,500? Almost 7,000. We were doing 15 to 30 intro calls a day with our exact persona. Wow. That's exceptional. But what everybody, so what everybody else does, right, is they advertise to to an audience and then they try to filter out the quality and they try to hopefully get the clients they want. We literally go through every client in the universe that you would want, and then we fully enrich their data, fully manually verify it, clean it up, and then we only advertise to that. You know what that does? You can run TV commercials. I'm running TV commercials to those 7,000 accounts. I'm running Convo ads. I'm doing gift giving. The other thing we do is we focus on activation, not acquisition. So if you run a financial model on your marketing, you have way higher increasing marginal returns increasing MQL to SQL or SQL to op than you do lowering cost per acquisition, like most B2C people think. And so we just kind of try to challenge the hypotheses that we commonly accept, and then we prove it out with our R&D department, and that's what drives our growth. That's exceptional. I love it. Well, this has been, just as I expected, the best part of my day, best part of my week. Um, This was such an honor, guys. Garrett, Drew, Thanks for making some space to be here. I know that you're literally on a rocket ship, building a rocket ship while you're flying in outer space. Congrats on, seriously, the growth, man. Congrats on Directive. I know that the story is still being written, you know, and we're definitely not finished. So such an honor. Appreciate y'all. Next time we'll have sour candy, I promise. Garrett (laughs) and Drew, have an awesome rest of your week, dudes. Uh, Thanks, Jeremy. Appreciate it. Thanks, Jeremy. You have eight seconds to make a connection or risk a click away onto the next topic. The difference lies in your ability to deliver relevant experiences to your audience across devices and across channels. But delivering on a really great experience is impossible without the right people and the right technology. You've got the right people, but your technology choices will make or break someone's experience with your brand. At the center of gravity of your digital experience, Brightspot Content Management System can deliver relevant content, personalized experiences, and cross-channel synergies to create unforgettable brand experiences. So you can be a bright spot in someone's day. Head over to brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends to find out right now. From global crisis to hunger relief efforts, The messages you deliver save lives, inform important decision-making, and help keep communities safe and sound. The speed and scale of your content needs to be delivered faster and on a much larger scale. Brightspot Content Management System has supported some of the world's largest brands to communicate on a global scale. 
from Johnson & Johnson sharing critical information with their customers to helping Whole Foods tell their brand story to a global audience. Brightspot is designed to handle rapid iteration and personalized messages to those you care about most. Learn more at brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends.